This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There was an afternoon news conference and we did learn that 27,000 British Columbians are under an evacuation order. 35,000 are under an evacuation alert. And what about those 50 buildings lost in West Kelowna? That is just what we know right now. There are other areas around the province where there is destruction and still we don't have the numbers. All that coming out of a news conference this afternoon. Bowen Ma is the emergency management minister, and she says, well, the darkest days, they're behind us. We hope that the darkest days are behind us, but the situation is still evolving and the dangers we face are still extreme. By taking the steps to be prepared, by following evacuation orders and alerts, you are doing everything that you can to protect your community. Please continue to be prepared. Have an emergency plan and a grab-and-go kit ready for you, your family, and your pets. Your First Nation or local authority will provide information on evacuation routes and evacuation reception centers where you can access emergency support services. I know that this is said every time that we are up here, but it bears repeating because I cannot stress it enough. If you are under an evacuation order, you must leave immediately. This isn't a suggestion. It is the law. It is the law indeed, and there have been concerns about that. Bowen Ma did expand, by the way, on the evacuation orders. For British Columbians, uh, we need everybody to really do their part right now. Listen to and uh, respect the travel order. It is critical that we keep the roads clear, that we keep the hotels uh, available for people, uh, and be cautious out there. This is a very dangerous and fluid situation still. Please understand, this is a very stressful situation for people in these local areas. The last thing they need is disaster tourists coming and interfering with rescue efforts. We need to understand that people in these communities need the compassion and concern of all British Columbians. And, uh, and certainly that is what we're seeing. Yeah, you may recognize the voice. Of course, that is Premier David Eby. He also said that there have been reports of people messing with firefighter equipment. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, we are getting reports that some people are tampering with firefighter equipment, uh, moving it to different locations uh, where they think it might be more needed. And uh, we'll put the best possible understanding on this that people think they're helping. They are not. Uh, you're not helping if you're moving firefighter equipment. Uh, firefighters are experts. The equipment is put there for a reason. And when it's not there, when the firefighters go to get it, that is a big problem. So please do not tamper with firefighter equipment. Ground zero is West Kelowna, and then there's the Kelowna area itself, like downtown Kelowna. A lot of the attention has been on that area, especially with the loss of buildings, knowing that 50 have been lost so far. I think that's probably an underestimation, but that's just me. 
We also know that there are similar situations on a smaller scale, but still very dramatic and dangerous happening around the province. And they have been happening and continue to be a concern. Well, Avery Schilf from the History Channel and the History Channel Canada's Rust Valley Restores, which can be streamed on Stack TV, joins us now from the Columbia Shoe Swap. Avery, always a delight to hear your voice. But boy, the circumstances this time are quite a bit different. How are you doing, bud? Well, I'll tell you what, my friend. It's definitely a very interesting, you know, scenario that's uh, definitely bringing a few things to light about human nature and the way things are done. And I tell you, it's not all agreeable in my eyes. It's not all agreeable. Uh, tell me about that. What, what are you seeing? Well, there's a real problem with uh, people management, I guess, and what people are doing and allowing people to help you know we're not professionals out here but you know we're a bunch of hillbillies out here that been out here some people been out here for three generations and this isn't their first go around for putting out a fire and they're tying everybody's hands and not allowing anybody to have any resources to go put the fire out if they think that these people are going to back down and go hide in their shed and drive away you know like whoever was in was whoever was saying there on the radio that that pack this up and get out of the way it ain't gonna happen my friend these people have been here for generations and they will protect their stuff and you know so be it you, you know, know back in the day when the fire broke out the last place you wanted to be was the bar because the first thing they did was come in there and anybody that was old enough to be in the bar they drugged their asses out give them a piss can and a plasky and went to work nowadays it's a little bit different you know it's, it, things are done a little bit different, and you know what? It's going to come and bite everybody in the ass in a really bad way. Avery, you always speak the truth, and that's great. But, you know, here's the other thing that I picked up on, and I've lived uh, I've lived in the Caribou myself. I've traveled around much of B.C. I'm, uh, I'm aware of how the powers that be can stay very safe in Victoria, make policy decisions, but when it comes to the reality of in the rest of the province, it could be quite a bit different. Here's the question I have for you. Many of the people in the area that you're in uh, have animals, have things to you know watch over, and they might fear that going out of the area is going to be putting them at, in jeopardy of losing those animals. How do you square that with the danger that they might be in? My friend, every day is a danger. Walking downtown in Vancouver is a danger. You know what? Eating a hot dog is a danger. You know what I mean? There's dangers out there in the world. There's always going to be dangers out there in the world. Do you know that we go hide underneath a chair somewhere or a table and just not worry about the danger? You know, it's a good thing the country doesn't go to war because it'd be too dangerous to go. No, it's interesting, and it is a different perspective. Is that the general feeling? Because we hear of a lot of people not getting out of the area. Is that what you're hearing from your neighbors, or is it just a very small group? No, there's a large group of diehards here, and thank goodness that, that there's there's several people in the communities, the loggers, the construction people. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that are out of their own pocket paying for resources, and they've been working like dogs for three days straight with no sleep, you know? Everybody said, oh, it's too dangerous. They all left. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there with no insurance, got a livelihood, and their whole investment and life is all wrapped up in their buildings and stuff that they have. We have no choice. You know, we've seen what happened with the other fires. 
You know, they burn down, oh, you're going to get compensated. Nothing still happened over at Lytton. I do believe they're still struggling to get 10 cents out of the government. You know, it's a very interesting thing. They say, oh, pack up and leave. So who's going to compensate you? What we see is nobody's compensated anybody to what it's worth. So what do you do? Do you lose it all or do you fight? You yeah, know, and that's interesting. Like Avery, that. I want to get to some of that fight. Uh, and based on some of the things that you've posted on social media, uh, some of the pictures that I've seen, it is not a situation that I would feel very comfortable being anywhere near. But I want to pick up on uh, some of your observations of some of the destruction you may have seen, uh, because I think that is something that you're dealing with right now. For those who are among the uninitiated, whereabouts do you live? I live right at Lee Creek, um, right, right, right directly across from the park. It was the Hague Brown Park. They changed the name. I can't pronounce it. Uh, okay, so the I'm just trying to get an idea of the map. How far from Chaser? Where's the, new, uh, the biggest, uh, uh, almost like community around you? Well, we're kind of in between, it depends your definition, the big, I guess. We're in between Scotts Creek. And Sorrento or Scotch Creek and Chase, we're just off the Trans-Canada Highway right where I'm at, probably about six kilometers across the bridge. I see the country under better times, and uh, when I watch you on TV looking for those antique cars uh, in your area and going to all the different places, boy, it's beautiful country. I don't blame you for being there for generations. uh, It was beautiful country. That's changed. Changed how? Well, she's not very scenic anymore. The fire went through there at a fairly quick pace in some places, and it's uh, it's not very good. You know, there's there's some bad areas in there. We lost our store. We lost a bunch of other buildings in Salista. I do believe my mother's house and all of her property and her other place at the water all is burnt to the ground. I managed to save my shop in Lee Creek. Um, it's not good. There's a whole lot of people that lost a whole lot of stuff. You know, Avery, there's a lot of talk about West Kelowna, West Kelowna, West Kelowna, and 50 buildings being lost there. I am under the impression there may be more loss up around where you are. Am I right? Well, yeah, I I don't know the numbers. Like I say, I only traveled probably probably about a 10-kilometer radius when I was out there at nighttime. I stayed behind. Everybody else left because they deemed it was too dangerous. There was me and one other guy on our end of the neighborhood. There was Craig Spooner and a bunch of the other locals that were there. And uh, we just simply went to work with what we had. You know, I kept the fire, I kept the fire at bay at my end of the place with, 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 a, with, with a simple spade. You know, turning the fire back. I worked from, I don't know, 12 o'clock at night till about 7 o'clock in the morning and continued on for the rest of the day. You know, one of the other neighbors phoned me and asked how his house was doing. I said it was all right. I kept his pump going and everybody else's pumps going. You know, and then saying that, they're going down, everybody's looting the fire equipment, everybody's stealing this, everybody's doing that. You know, and any, you know, sure, there's going to get some shit going to get stole by somebody, but that's not the case. But you've got me worried. Is, there's no equipment around there to use, and people are taking, bringing it and using it where it's needed. The you know, problem is, you're you know, good. half the stuff doesn't work. You Avery, know, I got, Avery. I got, pump, I got a fire pump, I use it, it don't work. You're going to get yourself arrested. Um, we, we can't go down that road. Okay. I've already had, a, I, I can't go down that road and comment that at that point in time right now. Okay. 
okay, fair enough. But uh, are you worried for your own safety? I mean, there is the evacuation order where you are, and there is a reason for that. People do My die. My friend, that's long gone past. Okay. If you want safety, I don't know. And safety doesn't pull into matter. Common sense comes into play, which nobody has anymore. Common sense has been taken away from us by the powers to be. And there we go. You know, the old folks are out there, the younger kids are out there that grew up on the farms. They're putting out, they're saving the neighborhood. You know, the fire department's out there doing their part. But again, it's 90% volunteer fire people. They have a bunch of rules and regulations they got to follow. And their rules and regulations aren't that good. They're not understood by me or anybody else out there. It's a very, very volatile place out there right now. You know, I don't know what's going through the people in power's mind. I had a small meeting with one of the guys over at CSRD today about getting some permits and stuff, and he said it was too dangerous to give any permits out. So now what people are doing is they're becoming food runners across the water. So now in keeping all the food trucks out and everybody delivering food, they got the water cluttered with boats. So now in doing that, if the water bombers want to come in, there's a bunch of people on boats in the middle of the water simply because they will not let any food through. Why? I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know who they're trying to protect. I really don't know. I've driven that road. Is it dangerous? It's a little bit dangerous. It's mostly all gone. The power lines are kind of sort of hanging there. There's no power in them. Like, again, it's dangerous. I hear you. You know, it's a common sense thing. Avery, I appreciate your time on this. I appreciate how you're keeping it real. I do fear that there are many people that share some of those dangers with you. Of course, it is the law, and there's a reason why you have to obey an evacuation order. But I do hear what you're saying. That's that's just the way it is. That is Avery Shelf, Canadian TV personality, anti-car expert from Rust Valley Restorers. You can watch or stream it on the History Channel Canada on Stack TV. And it's Bruce Claggett in for jazz this week. You know, one of the things that is kind of like a highlight, if there is a highlight when you're under these sort of evacuation alerts and evacuation orders, is the community coming together. And there are plenty of examples of that, whether it's charities stepping in, whether it's neighbors stepping in to help out, or whether it is some of the businesses that really step up at a time when you need people to step up. There is one car dealership uh, in Kelowna that has decided to help out some of the wildfire victims right now, uh, those who have been displaced. Uh, And Jason Wandler is a general manager of Kelowna Chevrolet, and he's decided to take a bit of a different step when it comes to uh, kind of reaching out and helping those that uh, need help, not necessarily a sale in a time like this. Jason, thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Bruce. First of all, i got to ask uh, you yourself, uh, are you safe uh, in your home? Whereabouts do you live? I I am actually um, located in West Kelowna, and I've been evacuated. I've been out for uh since friday i believe um so you know fire has been knocking on my doorstep for a couple days but um thankfully with all the efforts of all the local firefighters and everybody that's come in from out of town um have staved off uh you know any any fire at um at my house for now but um, i'm one of the lucky ones so a difficult time indeed and i know that 
if you're in the car business, boy, you uh, it's part of your deal to know everybody around. So you probably know of some of those 50 that have lost uh, homes or businesses. Yeah, I, I do know some of them um, on a very personal level, and it's it's um, surreal and devastating. Um, people have no idea um, what to do and where to go and what's the next step. Um, so um, the community um, is doing the best just to help out and, and uh, um, you know, um, be as much support as we possibly can in such difficult times because I, I don't know that there's a playbook for something like this. You know, one of the first things I've heard is when you have something that is like this, a emergency, a local state of emergency, and then a provincial state of emergency, and then stories of people losing homes or businesses and evacuations, people want to step in and help. And sometimes they don't know how to go about doing it. Well, tell me about uh, your dealership, the uh, Kelowna Chevrolet dealership there, and uh, what you've gone ahead and done. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't really know what to do either. Um, you know, you, you know you want to help, um, but you're not sure exactly where to concentrate your efforts um, and what to do. So I've um, um, just tried to team up with local charities um, and let them hold my hand a little bit. Um, and uh, some of it is just common sense, I think. Um, some of it is just... Um, you know, reaching out to people and um, letting them know that we're here for them if they need help. I sometimes don't know exactly what that looks like, um, depending on the situation, but I do know enough people to put them in the right places and um, and to steer them in the right direction. Um, all I know is, is that we want to help um, our community and we're willing to do whatever we possibly can to help people um, like I said, I'm not sure sometimes when people come to me exactly how I'm going to handle it, but um, we always manage to find a solution. And that's the interesting thing. If somebody is going through a loss or an evacuation, quite often they just uh, seem to wander a little bit, uh, wander and drive into an area and kind of look for help anywhere. What are you hearing from other businesses and uh, at your own business? What are you hearing from people that just need to have some sort of help? What is the big demand? Well, I mean, um, first and foremost is, you know, having shelter for people. I think that's an easy one. And, um, you know, um, with so much, uh, so many of us at, um, at our dealership, um, displaced, um, it's hard to, um, it's hard to welcome people in when you don't have any place to go yourself. So, you know, trying to facilitate, you know, with um, resorts, uh, wineries, um, hotels, people that we know to um, get people shelter. Um, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, simple things like toiletry items and, you know, shampoos and toothbrush and, and you know, for kids, you know, um, formula, um, you know, diapers, um, all these things that some of these people had no um, opportunity to grab um, as they were evacuating their house. Um, it's the little things sometimes that you don't think about, um, like the, you know, soap and baby wipes, um, you know, children's socks, uh, those types of things that uh, people seem to really need. 
And if people come by uh, Kelowna Chevrolet and uh, donate some of those, you're going to hook those up with the right charities, right? Yeah, we are partnered with um, um, Mamas for Mamas, they're called, and they are a huge, huge part of our community um, um, and helping out people in need, and they've been unbelievable. Um, And they've been so busy um, down at their um, uh, donation center that uh, just to try to alleviate some of the the stress that's um, going on there because there's so many people coming and going. It's absolutely chaotic that we just offered up um, a a donation spot for people to come in and and drop it here if they don't want to, if they can't make it into Mamas for Mamas um, or, uh, um, you know, they can't seem to find a parking spot or even being able to drive up to the building because it's uh, unreal the amount of vehicles that are coming and going from there. So just to just to help out somewhere, anywhere that we possibly can. Jason, among other things, being a general manager, you're also the boss. So you see people turning up from uh, turning up for work on a Monday morning, and they may have gone through some form of personal crisis. What do you do about that? How do you handle that as a boss? Yeah, that's a, that's like I said. There's no playbook for some of this stuff. That um, you know, first and foremost, you just try to make sure that everybody's okay. Um, and then you, uh, um, you know, and it's a situational thing. Um, some people, um, need a place to stay. Um, and, um, you just try to work the phones, um, and find a, a home for them. And it, it has been, um, as you mentioned earlier, um, the community coming together, it's been phenomenal. Um, people have been more than happy to help out, um, anybody, um, and um, we're no different here. Um, we rally together, and I've got about 12 people that have been evacuated from their homes, so we've found, um, you know, roofs uh, for them to sleep under um, and make sure that everybody's taken care of, um, and we just do our best to stick together. Jason, thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Uh, Thanks for listening on a Monday afternoon as we continue to be under this, well, state of emergency right across the province with evacuation orders or alerts for more than 60,000 British Columbians. David Eby, along with Emergency Management Minister Bowen Ma and Forest Minister Bruce Ralston will tour some of the wildfire areas uh, later on this week. We also have Canadian forces assisting troops called in to Camp Vernon, the old base that used to be in full operation in Vernon. Also on Wednesday, an additional 100 firefighters from Mexico coming in to join in the effort. They'll also be joining people from, well, South Africa, Australia and other countries already on the fire lines. Let's bring in Global BC's Richard Zussman, who is in West Kelowna right now. Richard, thanks for joining us. And how are things where you are at this moment? 
Yeah, so Bruce, I'm in this area in West Kelowna all day. People have been coming here with their binoculars to try to see if their home is still standing. It's been emotional and remarkable to watch, really. The smoke has set in here for days now since the fire uh, broke out in this community on Thursday, and it's been so hard. And there was a slight reprieve this afternoon where there was enough of that smoke cover moved out so people could actually see uh, properties. You know, my friend, colleague, and camera person, Chris Allard, is here as well. And you know, with these broadcast cameras, they have incredible Zoom features. You know, Chris was was encouraging people in the community to look through his camera to see if they could see their homes. You know, people are doing everything they can for a sense of community to better understand what is left. And we got the devastating news today that we know at least 50 homes have been destroyed. The number will go up a lot from there. They haven't done the assessment yet on the hardest hit area. Uh, so that is being done now and we'll continue to get those numbers updated. Um, but yeah, it's just quite remarkable, Bruce, watching these people come and, and they're on evacuation, obviously, and they come back here just with a little bit of hope that they can see if their home is still stable. Richard, I try to put myself in the mindset of someone who may be a homeowner that doesn't know if they've got a home to go back to. And I would think that I would go through so many different emotions. One of them might end up being some frustration with not being told enough information. Yeah. Is that realistic or can we actually not know what that information is due to the smoke? What's the situation? Yeah, you feel that and you hear from people and you start seeing pictures circulating that someone was able to get and maybe it's your home and maybe it's not. And that, that really adds, I think, to the emotional toll here is that uncertainty and the idea that maybe somebody knows or somebody doesn't know. Wildfire Service is doing everything they can to get the information to people as quickly as possible. And uh, the fire chief, Jason Brolin, spoke to that this morning saying, yes, I know you are anxious to know but I don't want to give you incomplete information. We don't want to tell you that that neighborhood is okay. And then when we get closer in, we see that it's not. It's pretty incredible right now. I'm just looking out and I can see a, a spray of water uh, on, on some sort of piece of property across the way. This is what people are watching unfold uh, through their binoculars. It, it's quite something. And, and yes, we've had a few stories of people going in behind the order lines to go see if their properties are okay or to get things from their homes. Police is concerned about it. They say, don't do that. We need to keep you safe and we need to keep those working safe. You know, behind the lines, it doesn't look like your regular neighborhood. There are power lines that are down. There are water mains that are broken. There are sprinklers and hoses all over to try to protect structures. So there is a sense of desperation for people wanting information, but the reality is the wildfire service is moving as quickly as possible to get people that information. Yeah, Richard, I'm glad you highlighted just some of the hazards that are around when you have a wildfire zone or a zone where there is destruction. It's not just burned property. There are those other disasters or other hazards in a yeah. disaster area. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with the geography, and I'm trying to go back in my mind to Thursday. Most of this fire around West Kelowna was up on the West Hill, like at the yeah. West side. And then I started to see on Friday pictures of destruction right down along the lake. So the move, the fire moved right down uh, one side or one area of, uh, of West Kelowna. Where is it right now? Where would you see flames today? Yeah. 
So we can't see any flames today from any vantage point that we are at. Uh, there is an area that would be, now you're really testing my geography, Bruce. <laughs> there is an area that would be north of where those fires are, where fire continues. And, and this area is still very active. You just don't see those lively flames. Part of that is the fact that the winds have calmed down, so you're not getting that sweeping effect. And the other devastating part of it is the fact that a lot of material has already been consumed, right? The trees have burned and there's still fire in the ground and they're continuing to put out those hot spots. So where I am now, again, you're testing my geography here, Bruce, is just around the mountain from where that fire was that you described. Uh, we, we were here Friday night and, yeah. and watched uh, with our eyes homes uh, destroyed and we could see the fire move from property to tree line to property and you could see those properties destroyed so um yeah it's it's the fight the fire is still very active and even though we've had good firefighting conditions and no structures lost over the next last 48 hours uh fire officials want people to know the fire is still very much burning in there and and you know we saw it thursday night we saw it friday night it's still there even though you can't see it right now and part of that's the smoke and part of that's where it is but that's that reminder. We're not, we can't lift these orders yet because there's still concern in that area. And yes, conditions have been good, but they're still concerned. Richard, you know, when you check out on social media and most of the pictures I've seen that are really dramatic are the ones on TikTok. But uh, when you check social media, a lot of people post pictures at night. And that's a whole lot different than the daytime kind of views. Yeah. Is it the nighttime that is worse, or is it just because the flames look so much different at night? Uh, it was due to cooling temperatures with increased winds. And so, again, you're testing my knowledge here, Bruce. <laughs> when the weather changes, you have hot weather patterns, meet cold air, that produces significant wind. As the days cool down and that cold air mass hits the warm air mass, you have uh, erratic winds. And what we have experienced here is that meeting of those erratic winds have led to really challenging fire behavior. Like just in this area alone, people describe the fire moving, you know, tens of kilometers in a matter of hours, you know, approaching upon home. So the evening you have those winds go and then you see the spread, but it's also because of what you're seeing sort of in the sky, like the darkness of the sky matched to the, the, the brightness of the flames. Uh, allows you to see it a little bit better and and but those were the most extreme points it wasn't like it was burning like that during the day but you could only see it at night so those were the toughest times because of that sweeping effect and, and erratic behavior of the winds no that's a really good explanation hey bowen ma along with david eby and bruce rolston they're going to be i guess hopping on a plane and touring some of the areas tomorrow what do we know about that and what's the purpose yeah. of uh, them coming in yeah, my understanding uh, is that they will be meeting uh, with people on the front lines. Uh, they will be uh, meeting with people who are, you know, uh, fighting the fires when they can be. Those that are off shift, they do not want to get in the way of this ongoing firefight. I saw one of the most incredible things last night, Bruce. I was there for the shift change. Those coming back in for the day, those going out for the night. Uh, fire trucks from every municipality I could think of in British Columbia, from Port McNeil, from Sprout Lake, from Saanich, from Delta, from North Van, District and City, from Surrey, from Vancouver, uh, Logan Lake, Cranbrook, and there were tons more, Chilliwack, I, you, you see them all. And they're coming and they're going and they're putting in the work and 
the premier wants to get a better understanding, I'm sure, of what it is like on the ground and, and the resources that are needed. There will be an element, I think, through their travels, working with the fire center, uh, speaking to people about what they need on the ground. You know, you can't get to everybody in one trip. My understanding is they'll be in a few different communities tomorrow. And, and I expect we'll see them here in Kelowna as well. So that's the goal of this. Politicians aren't firefighters, Bruce, you know that. Yeah. Uh, but they're here to provide the best support they can because obviously the people here need the help of government, not just firefighting, but when this is over, government needs to be there to help these people recover and rebuild and, and you know, try to, to, to move on from this devastation that we're, we're experiencing. Yeah, no, I get it. And policy makers need contacts too. And this helps provide some of that on a firsthand basis. Uh, speaking of trips, though, we also know that uh, there are going to be more firefighters coming in on Wednesday from Mexico. How come? Yeah, so part of this is BC needs all hands on deck. And it's not just here in Kelowna. We know the situation in north of here and the Shushwap is challenging. Uh the fire season is not over, Bruce. Like, it's still hot. We're still in August. It's still dry. Yes, there's rain in the forecast tomorrow. But, you know, they need the support they can get. And uh, every hand here uh, helps. And so we've we've asked as a province for that assistance, and it's coming. And it includes, you know, uh, those that are doing the surveillance work, those that are doing firefighting, those that are doing administration, their support needed in all of that. And so... You know, this is not over. There there are still flames back in these hills that I'm looking at, and that's why they need as many crews as they can get. Richard, thanks so much for your excellent work, and stay really safe, my friend. Don't get too close. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. I won't, I promise. Talk soon. Bruce Claggett in for Jazz, who is off this week. And yeah, continuing coverage, uh, so terribly important to get information out to all British Columbians when you have a state of emergency and so many in the province now under an evacuation order or an evacuation alert. By the numbers, 27,000 under an order, 35,000 under an evacuation alert. It's not just Kelowna and West Kelowna where there are those complex fires now. Uh, it's areas like the Columbia Shoe Swap, and it's areas like Carameas, and it's areas like, oh, the little strip between Oliver and OK Falls, where you have uh, some people under an evacuation order, even though it is small. That is happening around the province, and you got to get the information out in real time. How do you do that? Well, some people share their stories or have in the past shared stories via social media. One of the most popular areas or ways to do so in the past has been by Facebook. But we all know that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, put a stop to that in an ongoing battle between Canada mostly the federal government and the social media giant when it comes to what can be done on social media and how you're going to compensate the content creators. Well, Premier David Eby, never been a fan of this, but uh, he spoke out against Meta and took sharp aim at that uh, Facebook parent company because Meta continues to double down during a state of emergency. This is what David Eby had to say earlier today. I find it astonishing uh, that we are at this stage of the crisis 
and uh, the owners of Facebook and Instagram have not come forward and said, look, we're trying to make a point with the federal government, but it's more important that people are safe. It's more important that they have access to basic information uh, through our networks, and then we can deal with our concerns with the federal government and their new laws later. Uh, I call on Facebook again. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, uh, open up access to Canadian media so that uh, British Columbians can share critical local information so they can be safe. It's, an, it's, uh, it's incredibly frustrating to me uh, that we have to be making this call at this stage in the crisis, um, but I hope that, uh, that common sense prevails there, uh, uh, but uh, currently it seems to be in short supply. Yeah, it's another ask. More words, a reason for the ask at this time. Most people could probably agree that the reason is uh, a justified one when you're in a state of emergency. But of course, we're not hearing any change in policy when it comes from, say, Facebook or Instagram parent company Meta. Let's bring in Jesse Miller, social media expert and founder at Mediated Reality. Good afternoon, Jesse. Good afternoon, Bruce. What do you make of this? Are we ever going to see a change in policy, even when we have uh, evacuation orders and alerts and the need to get news out? It's obviously a very complex uh, uh, conversation, and I don't think that there's going to be a set idea of whether or not we get information or not. We have to keep in mind here that the majority of Canadians have pivoted to social media as a place to find news information. And the more remote you are, the more you rely on Facebook community groups to get information about what's happening in your neighborhood. So when we look at how this conflict is kind of brewing, we're not seeing censorship of community conversation. We're seeing censorship of news links. And so when we worry whether or not Canadians are getting access to good information, the majority of people have to keep in mind that if you were looking at a six o'clock news and Global chose not to broadcast the news and instead ran a rerun of a soap opera, there'd be a lot of concerns about why we're not getting what we're used to getting. And so right now, Facebook is basically putting in its, its, its feet in the sand and saying, we're not budging. We, we don't believe that the bill is fair, that the law is fair. And just because you're having a crisis doesn't mean that we should open up the floodgates of information. You know, I get it. Community groups are a great way to uh, find out a little bit about what neighbors are talking about. But it comes down to good information. And I think you mentioned that. Use those terms. Good information. Good news. Not good news, but good news. And uh, sometimes those community groups are sharing things that just aren't true, not accurate, or should not be shared for various reasons of sensitivity. Journalists do know about those things. They're trained to kind of be aware of that. Like it or not, whatever your opinion of a journalist or mainstream media might be, there are reasons why you go to that information. And a lot of it's because it's credible and it is verified. Yeah, and Bruce, that's where we get to that slippery slope of what people believe to be verifiable information. And that's a huge complex issue in Canada. And we're seeing big gaps in media literacy and trust in journalism. But the thing is, as a media educator, I trust journalists. I trust the idea that individuals who work in journalism want to get the best information about a story possible. We know that there's an economy that exists within traditional terrestrial media to try and get the most sensational story out first. But what I value about the majority of Canadian journalists who are so 
associated to any of the, the big brands of media, global, CTV, CBC, is that people value their job. They value their work. And so when we look at misinformation on social media, the community groups actually do give us a very good vantage point to what's happening. And yes, sometimes there is misinformation just based on community reaction. People want to jump ahead of the story or they are kind of sharing falsehoods and rumor. But when we have journalists doing their jobs and that information is available, what we have to keep in mind is that the majority of government information is still available on social media. We still have the Canadian government sharing on Facebook and, and, and Instagram. We still have news agencies that can po- post information. The bigger issue here is whether or not that information should be something that Facebook has to pay a quote-unquote tax on and how they make money in sharing that information. And so what Facebook is saying is that if you're limiting our profits and, what, what, and, and our profits and at the end of the day to our ability to make money in your country, we don't necessarily care that there's an emergency. And I think right now also politicians are using this example to show that there should be some kind of, uh, of leeway or, or flexibility from the company, but we're not demanding that from any other industry. So why does Facebook have to face that? Well, it's a circular argument, Jesse, and uh, one has to step in at some point and stop that circle. How's it going to come to an end? What's our exit strategy here? Well, we need more uh, Canadian-based social media or, or, or website reliance in our, in, our, in our journalism access. And so I encourage people not necessarily to get that information from social media, but to still go to traditional websites. I mean, all of the news agencies I mentioned before still have traditional news sites that you can go to. The hard part here is that Canadians have become so reliant on accessing information through social media, not only in the sense of going to the provider, but regurgitated content because their friend saw a link and decided to share it. That's why when we see people on Facebook sharing a TikTok video, some people laugh and go, I saw that a couple weeks ago. You're not getting fresh content. You're not, you're getting repurposed content. And so we still need people to go to the up-to-date websites to get the most relevant information possible and then balance that with your community groups in social media, because that's why it's called social media. Now, are Canadian media organizations doing the right thing for their side in trying to fight this? Uh, I hear so many ads out there right now where there is a concerted effort to kind of put uh, an end to what they see is going on, uh, and I can understand the reason why. Uh, Is it going to work? And uh, they've got skin in the game, but, um, you know, what's your idea? What's your perspective? So a couple of notes here. One, uh, when we look at organizations like Global Chorus, when we look at things like CTV, we have to recognize here that these are big congl- parts of big conglomerates who make a lot of money. And so the fight between conglomerates like Meta and let's say Chorus or Shaw and Rogers, there's always going to be these kind of connections of who's right, who's wrong, who's making money, what information is there for the everyday person and what information can be accessed based on, hey, this is where my preferred choice of cable provider news access is. What I think is important here is that when we look at how media is fighting back against this, they're also fighting for the small news agencies, the uh, local news providers, the, the individuals who have put together a newspaper and has been part of a community for 50 years and they're struggling because they don't have ad revenue, but they're still looking to put content from their community out into the places where people are going to absorb it. We need more advocacy for local news providers. And then, so at the end of the day, yes, we see large agencies kind of take over by newspaper groups and sit there and kind of regurgitate content from one part of the province to the other. But when it comes down to finding that balance, 
Social media plays a very pivotal role in how local news hits our internet. And sometimes the smallest of stories become the biggest of stories because we have this amazing tool that allows us to capture and share in real time. So when it comes down to it, we still need more local news. And hopefully we start to see a middle ground kind of develop. It doesn't mean that the Bill C-18 is right or wrong. It just means that, unfortunately, those groups may not have enough money to fight the big fight. Jesse Miller, appreciate your insight as always, especially when we take a look at Canadian news during a state of emergency. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bruce. Jazz is off. Bruce is in the chair. That's me. And we're talking, well, just before the break about Meta blocking Canadian news, even during a state of emergency. It's a situation that's been going on as we continue this fight over Bill C-18. But let's bring in Jerry Mayer Judson, show contributor, to talk a little bit more about this. You've been looking into various different opinions. Oh, yes. What have you been seeing? State of emergency, no Facebook That's news. That's the thing. So I was looking actually at this article by uh, Paula Tran and Jeff Semple on Global News yesterday, and it was about the wildfire in the Northwest Territories. But still, they interviewed this guy, Adam Archibald from Yellowknife. And uh, in various neighborhood groups, they were posting maybe not disinformation, but misinformation about what was actually going on with the evacuation orders and the evacuation notices and things like that. And he couldn't share any links um, via Facebook to like reputable news sources to kind of address that misinformation. And uh, so that made me think that like, oh man, because Canadians, we overwhelmingly more than you think use Facebook. Um, The data from just last month. So 62% of Canadian social media usage went to Facebook. And then the next highest is Instagram. And that's 11%. Instagram is pictures. Yes. And then then it's 11% on Twitter. So really the uptake just isn't there. So for better or for worse, a lot of Canadians are getting their information from Facebook and now they don't have news. You know, Jerry, I'll be honest. I get a lot of information from Facebook, a lot of community news. Mm -hmm. But uh, the news I get is basically people asking questions. Hey, what do you know about fill in the blank. Yeah. It's not, it's more questions than answers. Yes. Media, meaning mainstream or traditional media, as they like to call it, uh, gives more answers and fewer questions. Yes, no, totally. And you you do kind of have to be algorithmically following those news sources. But I just think that in times of crisis, you want to reach for something familiar. And if that familiar thing is Facebook, and if you do get like global news, CBC, CTV, whatever you happen to list or happen to read on Facebook, Meta is not even for a second giving you access to that in in the wake of a natural disaster. And I think that's ludicrous. Yeah, I think we're going to be talking about this a whole lot more in the rest of the year. Hey, Jerry, thanks so much. Thanks, Bruce. Jerry Mayer, Judson Show contributor, talking about the issue of meta-blocking Canadian news during a state of emergency. Yeah, continues even though there is that state of emergency. Nice to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Jazz. Yeah, Premier David Eby, he's going to be taking two of his uh, foremost cabinet ministers on a field trip tomorrow, heading into the Okanagan and some other places to take a look at uh, just some of the context behind the stories that we're hearing about forest fire devastation. And one of the things that he has been doing is talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the fire affected areas and what the impacts are going to be. Our goal is to uh, reassure people that we will be there uh, when the crisis passes to help them rebuild, uh, but also to get information from the front line about what communities need to ensure the government is as responsive as possible. We're working closely with the federal government as well on uh, on uh, supporting people uh, in the aftermath of this 
horrific disaster that they are facing. That's a little bit of a setup for us to circle back to Mark Burley, head of the Downtown Kelowna Business Association. We have talked to Mark on uh, on Friday about uh, what uh, it was looking like in the downtown business area in downtown Kelowna and about uh, how things are going to be in the weeks and days ahead. The big question right now, and we bring in Mark, uh, is is it a ghost town? Are things looking really bleak? Mark, how are you? And uh, what are you seeing now in the downtown core? Hi, Bruce. Yeah, um, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm still personally uh, on the edge of what would be an alert zone where I live, but uh, it seems things have calmed down uh, when it comes to that. It is very quiet here. We're still socked in with a lot of smoke. Uh, I was in the office all day today, and it is pretty quiet downtown. And it's not only that uh, tourists have been asked and said not to be here. Uh, Locals are staying inside right now. It's not to say we didn't have some traffic downtown. And notice as I did my walk earlier today around lunchtime that a few of the restaurants had uh, people sitting at tables at the window. So there are still those of us who are downtown at work who are using the services and the business there. In the best of times, Mark, it's a tough labor market and you have a problem getting people into work at times. Are you hearing anything from your members about uh, about their own workers and if the workers are coming into work or staying home? How are they dealing with this? Well, I, would, uh, I haven't heard anything directly, Bruce, but I know uh, the way that uh, all of us operate is first come is uh, that the well-being of your employees and the people that you work with and to make sure that they're healthy. There's a portion of people out there who have breathing issues, who have asthma or where the things where things like smoke will affect them. And if they can't make it into work and do their work from home, that's great. But if they need to be in the office, but they can't handle being outside and moving between perhaps a vehicle or a bus or whatever in the business, I'm sure that most business owners are understandable of that. Just trying to get a sense of uh, what a work week would look like in August period. And then you put into the context of a forest fire and orders and evacuations around you. Is anyone get getting anything done in terms of business? Sure. I mean, uh, we are. We have a downtown on call program. Our guys are out there working. We've provided them with N95 masks so that if they feel that they're having issues, we've instructed them to wear them while they're outside because of the particulate that is in the air because of the smoke. So our guys are out there and moving around. Uh, There are other parts of the city government and the people who work for the city who aren't as visible, but then again, they could be up on the front lines and helping out with the firefighters, with the police, and those types of things. I saw some bylaw services, trucks around downtown today. So it is quiet, and maybe people aren't as visible, but I'm sure that those who need to get work and need to be getting it done are doing it. Mark, uh, we have talked to you about this. We know that you live in West Kelowna. I'm glad that you're okay and that your home is okay. What about your neighbors? Well, uh, you know, I have some people that I work uh, with, not directly, but through my job, who've been evacuated and are staying with friends or family. Uh, my own, my son, Ryan, he was evacuated from uh, his 
home and has found a place to stay with his dogs and his cats, which is another thing we have to consider. So there's a lot of movement and a lot of people around. I've been through this personally, but that was back in 2009. This is a much larger scale. Emergency services are doing the best they can to keep up with the number of evacuees who are going for services and vouchers there. So everybody's muddling through, but it's this type of thing when it happens that brings communities together. And we have to say that about Kelowna and West Kelowna right now. I think a lot of people mentioned 2009 and try to draw some comparisons between this one and 2009. Uh, If you could, and I know it's very different because the fires are so very different and in different types of locations, but if there are any comparisons, what would those be? Well, it's the evacuations and the use of emergency services to get your vouchers, to get a hotel room paid for while you're being displaced from your home. My personal uh, experience was we weren't at home when the evacuation happened, so we couldn't get back to get things. So those vouchers were really advantageous for myself and my wife because we could at least get something other than a bathing suit or a pair of shorts and a couple of shirts and some you know, socks and all that kind of thing, a toothbrush. Uh, toothpaste. So in 2009, the difference was the fire was closer to the connector. It also jumped the highway there and hit Goats Peak, which is across uh, the highway from Gorman's, which is uh, a big company at the corner of Glen Rose and Highway 97. They managed to save their plant there with the employees, but there weren't as many evacuees in 2009 as there is now in 2023 i can't believe that it's 14 years difference between the two it's amazing when you think yeah 14 years and uh i i would imagine it almost seems like just yesterday for you yeah it sure does and you know it's no matter what you say you know we've been through quite a few of these i didn't live here in 2003 but we had another fire uh, in West Kelowna in 2013 that was a bit scary, but that was only for a day or so. But smoke from wildfires throughout the province tend to gravitate here because of the valley and the lake, which seems to, the, when the winds blow, that blows down there. It's just uh, this time around, the smoke is very thick and is very noticeable. You wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you smell. Mark, before you go, uh, tomorrow the Premier is coming into your hood along with yep. two cabinet ministers. Is there going to be an ask from the Downtown Kelowna Business Association? Well, we're hoping that like uh, in any emergency situation, there will be some type of funding or relief uh, for the businesses uh, that throughout downtown and throughout the city because basically when it's all said and done, Uh, They're at the mercy of what the government's telling people to do. Now, it is safe. Safest thing is to say, don't come to Kelowna because of this smoke. It's not healthy. Uh, We need the accommodation for everybody who's been evacuated. But that still does affect the businesses everywhere because people are staying inside because of the smoke. So if we get the opportunity, that's certainly something we'll ask. Okay, well, best of luck to you, Mark. And uh, thanks for sharing time with us. Thanks very much, Bruce. I appreciate it. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.